If you're a visitor among us, we are going through the gospel according to John, and we've come to chapter 6, and we've been seeing as we've gone through this, the editorial intention of John. Up until this, we haven't had stories that are familiar in the other gospels. And here we come to chapter 6, the only miracle that's in all four gospels. What does that mean? But again, at the end of Caroline reading there from John chapter 6, we find John calling these signs more than miracles. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed. And John, of course, has them immediately heading back into the Old Testament. This story, the next story, the fact that it's at Passover time. John mentions Passover, as we've noticed more than the other uh, gospel writers. Here we are remembering Passover, remembering food in desert places where people are hungry. We're back to Numbers chapter 11. Where can I get meat for all these people? Moses said. Immediately, you see this relationship. Because the people gathered around Jesus would have been right into these stories the way we're into, well, Jonathan at least is into the new single by Katy Perry or whatever. They're familiar with these stories. These are the things that people were telling each other. And so immediately, this story, bread, barley loaves that we'll come to a bit later, manna, supplying people in need. Where can I get meat for all these people? Deuteronomy 8 and 3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We're being reminded, as we've been thinking in this whole story, of John and the New Testament, that it's a continuation of a longer story. And John is putting Jesus into this place. Verse 14 again. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. So the people were expecting a prophet to come into the world. Where were they expecting that prophet? Where did that come from? Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. This yearning, this waiting for this prophet, this servant king, this Messiah. And John's making it very clear. The word has become flesh and has moved into the neighborhood. And the Jesus that is among the people here is that Messiah. It's good at Advent to remember what John's intention throughout his gospel is and what again he shows us here. This baby will give us the right to become children of God. Chapter 1 and 12. This baby, the one who gives this feeding in chapter 6, is the one who comes to give life in all its fullness. You know the way to the place where I'm going. How do we? What way? Who is the word? What are you talking about in chapter 14? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the prophet. I am the one that you were told about back then who has come in all its fullness. We'll come to this a bit later in this chapter because there's another story and then there's a bit of a commentary by John later on in this chapter. What I want to do today actually is to go into the wonderful 
minutiae of the story that John tells because John's stories are just full of these little details. Now, you get into these stories and you listen, you read too many commentators and is it this uh, Bethsaida where this happened or is it not this one? Can they get from Capernaum to there in a boat or can they not get to Capernaum? From You could get really confused. But there's some sense that the Philip and Andrew that are in this story were people who were from this very place that Jesus was doing this miracle. Which may be why Philip's concerned that the people get fed and why Andrew knows a little boy in the crowd that might be able to feed them. The detail that John comes into, I think, is quite important. So I want to draw two or three things out of that this morning that might be for us where we are today. First of all, the first thing we notice, and we shouldn't be surprised at it, is that Jesus sees a need. We shouldn't be surprised at it because Matthew 9 and 36 or Mark 6 and 34, Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd and had compassion on them. Whenever the crowds gathered around Jesus, even when he was trying to get away from them and failed to, he's tried to get across the water here and then at the end of this he's trying to get up a mountain, he's trying somewhere to find space. Even if he's trying to find space, when they're gathered around him, he sees the needs that they have. And he wants to meet those needs. Brent has had his back, himself back, and certainly me back in South Africa. Nelson Mandela I never met. Nelson Mandela changed the world. But this week as I heard the news coming out of session on the way up in the car, I cried in the car. Why? What did this man do or leave? Something didn't only change the world but he changed so many of us as individuals i was back in cape town a lot i guess this week and so going back to jail zwani that i talk about a lot that little church in gugaletu that taught us and chaplaincy so many things during what i call the noughties if you know what that decade is when we went there so often spiwo kapili the minister there talked so much about this baby and this Messiah as God flesh on. It's simple, but the way he said it in that wonderful accent of his, God flesh on. And then he would take it from God flesh on to Jesus on the doorstep he constantly talked about. A church constantly putting Jesus on the doorstep. A church that in the middle of Gugaletu Whereas I've said so often, didn't have a children's talk, had an AIDS testimony every week because so many of the congregation were either dying of AIDS or were caring for people who were dying of AIDS. A ministry that said, how do we put Jesus on the doorsteps of nine-year-old children whose both parents have died and they're now looking after the seven-year-old child and are cooking for the granny or whatever else? Walking into a a home where a 10-year-old is making lunch for an ill father is a very moving thing. And jails Wanny go, how can we as a church put Jesus on that doorstep? God, flesh on. This is what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, how do we put Jesus on the hillside? How do we put Jesus in the doorstep? What are the needs? How can we meet the needs? And of course, he's told us man shall not live by bread alone. Woman shall not live by bread alone. Humans shall not live by bread alone. But... Here, when they're hungry, he wants to meet that need that they have. And in doing it, there's this wonderful 
picture of Jesus involving the disciples in mission. Testing them. Here's the need. Here's what we've got to do. Now, as we go about doing it, Jesus thinks, I can nurture them. I can spiritually form them. We can learn some things about me, about God, and about themselves. It starts with mission. Charles Ringma, Regent Vancouver, got me up every morning to go to lectures at 8 o'clock for three hours. Now, I'm sorry, but that was rare for me. And by the end of it, I was getting up even earlier because I wanted to get up there and make sure I was in. And at 10 to 11, I was saying, do not stop, do not stop. I'm loving this. But in the midst of that, he said, mission is the mother of theology. It's the mission and meeting the need that drives us to need prayer and Bible study and formation. Think of the Acts of the Apostles. Off they went. So consumed by the Holy Spirit in that first Acts chapter 2 Pentecost moment that they just start preaching. People start to respond. Because of the missional activity, we've got to gather now and pray and read as they do at the end of that chapter. Remember? Or we're out there changing the whole world of the time and suddenly circumcision. What are we going to do about that? Because we've now Gentiles and Jews. Let's get together and theologize that. It's out of the activity that they learn, that they theologize, that they need prayer, that they need study, that they need to form communities of nurture. And so here, Jesus is saying, here's a need. I'm going to meet that need. Now, how can I involve these disciples that they might learn something from it. So Philip, feed them. Come on. Come I'm in a Billy Connolly accent here. Come on. What are you talking about? Six months wages wouldn't feed this crowd. Philip's not going there. He's not going to learn too much. But Jesus is determined that this, because he doesn't need Philip, because he's, he's already decided what he's going to do. Andrew, on the other hand, he's, Somehow looking around him, engaging with the crowd. Peter was a very great doer. Andrew sort of drifted around at the side of the crowd, doing quieter things, but really vital things. Introducing people to Jesus, Peter, and then this little boy. And as he brings this little boy to Jesus, suddenly everything changes. But it's this learning while we do that's important here. While Jesus is going about Jesus himself on the doorstep on the hillside, he's teaching. When I started running, I just started running. Half a mile, that was a struggle. I was running half a mile in the Lagan Meadows and found that Owen McMurray and Holly were in front of me walking. And I had to run hard past them not to look stupid. And I near killed myself till I got around the next corner and then collapsed in a heap where they couldn't see me. So now that I'm running a bit more, I just ran and ran and ran. But then after a wee while, I was thinking, I've got to think about what I'm eating. I've got to think about what shoes I'm going to use. So I decided to go down and get a new pair of running shoes. And I was standing there in front of how many kinds of running shoes can one store have? And where's Nigel Hart when you need him? And then as I went up to buy them, who should appear? But... Yeah, Nigel Hart. So I needed to think about shoes, and he assured me that it wasn't as scientific and tactical as some are saying. Then I'm hearing, what do you eat after it? What do you drink after it? Do you know that for half an hour after it, you can take a sugar rush? Because that goes to muscle. 
For a year I haven't been having that huge bar of chocolate out of the chocolate box after running, but now I know that you can have that. So what's happened is, as I've been running, not lying on a couch as I did for 10 years, I'm learning as I run about schedules and shoes and sugar hits. Three nice little S's there. As we do, we learn. The involvement. God is at work in our churches. He knows already what he wants to do, but he's saying to us, what are the needs of this area? What are the needs in that place you work? What are the needs in that place you live? What are the needs in that country that you're part of? Now, how are you going to bring peace? How are you going to sort that out? Or in your home? What are the needs this week? What are the huge needs What we need Jesus to come onto our own doorstep, into our own hearts? But what about the Holy Land? What about Botanic? What about Queen's University? What about that place you go to tomorrow morning to work or that family that you help around you? What are the needs? Now, go and sort it out. No, I can't sort it out. There's no way I can sort this out. Is there not? Is there not? Think about it. What have you got? What is available to you? And if you bring what's available to you, trust me. Trust me, Philip. Trust me, Andrew. I can do something amazing here. So the wee boy's brought. And he gives. June Pat and I were at Presbytery on Tuesday night and Jonathan was there too. And John Dunlop was there. Fitzroy got a wee mention there. It was Fitzroy Avenue in his day, but John mentioned us um, fondly. And John was talking about the grace of giving. New campaign across, across the Presbyterian church to get people to give. There's obviously concern across our denomination about the financial giving in our congregations. And I come home so incredibly encouraged. Encouraged not only that you had given a quarter of a million pounds just a couple of weeks ago on one coming to the front in the baskets. Not only that, but what was really interesting for me is John talked about how committees and people theologized and put websites together as to how to give. That Dave Thompson and that little group that we have with Trish Eaton came up with it without committees and web pages. Because constantly, constantly throughout that preparation for gift day in November, David talked about the need to give joyously. 2 Corinthians 9, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now that morning, Ken had preached, we're going into the hymn, I don't know whether you know what's going to happen, because we only prepared it that morning. We didn't really know what was going to happen. How would you know what was going to happen? Had you anything in envelopes? Were you going to come forward? Because you're a bit of a stickler bunch that way. If I asked you to come forward to sit at the front, I'm not sure. You, there's a wee bit of your madness as well as your genius. I just wasn't sure you would come up. And then, it wasn't what you gave, guys, which is incredible. It was how. People were out of the balcony. They were nearly climbing out the front to get down here. People were coming up. I said to Janice, I'll come down and get you. By the time I got to Janice, you were flopping past. Because it seemed to me, I really believed that it seemed to me that this wasn't something that was being done reluctantly. There was an emotion to it. Many of us were in tears as this happened. Because we were giving to God 
the way God longs for us to give cheerfully, cheerfully. And the wee boy comes and gives. I mean, you've got to think about this. There's 5,000 people and men only. So we add the women and the children. There's a bit of a crowd here. And this wee guy's got his picnic. I know where I would have been. You see that rock over there? I'm going round the other side of that rock. Nobody's getting their hands in these barley loaves. But somehow in Andrew's relationship with him or connection with him or something about what the wee boy has thought about this Jesus because they're all thinking something about Jesus because they're gathered around there and they've walked miles to get there. He's prepared to give what he has. Give what he has. And what's really interesting about this as you look into it is that barley loaves is what the poorest of the poor would have had. It's actually what the adulterer would have come as an offering out of their sinfulness and shame. So what Jesus is doing magnificently here is he's taking the very least of what could be given to him. And he's doing something with it that is absolutely miraculous. I've been challenged as I've thought about our giving to this over 10 years. And I've been challenged as I was that Friday of Fitzroy 200 with seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added. And I'm challenged by that as we come up to Christmas because there's a really great place to ask yourself that question. What are we living for this Christmas? Christ is the center of it. The kingdom is the center of it. And then there's all this stuff. Christ is the center of it. And there's all this stuff. Seek first and this will be added. Let us ask ourselves incredibly humbly as I ask myself. In these next couple of weeks as we head towards Christmas. What will we invest our time and finances and energies in. Because that's maybe an indication of how seriously we take seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added. How many things will we be wanting to add that actually aren't the important bit? John Dunlop said it on Tuesday night. What better could you invest in so let me ask you financially and can I say he also said that my stipend is no longer attached to what you give so don't think I'm asking for anything more because it's got nothing to do with it we were scared to preach about those things for a long time when that was the case but let's all ask ourselves about our giving the things we will spend on in the next two weeks ask it simply where will they be in eternity? Ask it crassly. Where will they be in the middle of January? And then if we give to God the needs of this community, the needs of our city and our world, where will those things be at the end of January? Seek first. These things will be added. So let me finish with this. It's not in here. I see Jesus, they call it, adding to the text. Let me think about it for a moment. The wee boy goes home. Maybe his parents were with him. I don't know. Why do they not have someone with them to eat? 
The wee boy goes home. Mummy sent him out with a good packed lunch. I know what happens. 3.30 every day in our house. Did you eat your lunch? I know the answer. Every day at 3.30. No, I didn't like no sandwiches. The wee boy goes home. Well, did you enjoy your lunch? Well, I did, mummy, but you're not going to believe this. Tell me. Well, I didn't actually technically that I gave it to you. What? Well, I gave it to this man who took it to this other man who fed 5,000 men and as well as that woman and children with it. Your son. What impact would there have been in the lives of those whose detail are in here? Philip. How did this change his questioning of Jesus? Andrew, what did he get encouraged to do to bring other people to Jesus? What about the wee boy and the giving? What an investment. I could have eaten it round the rock and they wouldn't have been talking about it in all four Gospels. It wasn't much, but I gave it. And they're still talking about it 2,000 years later. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added. I'm going to take a moment. If you've noticed on your order of service, there's a couple of questions. Take them home with you. What are the needs and what is the miracle needed around you? At home, in work. And what about around Fitzroy? And where is God testing our faith as he wants to put Jesus on the doorstep? And what are our loaves and fishes? What are the things we can give to the issues going on in our homes, to the issues going on in our place of work, to the issues going on in our streets, to the issues going on around Fitzroy and in Fitzroy? What are the needs? How's God testing us? What can we give to help him do the miracle? Let's be quiet for a second. Lord, give us the heart of Jesus to have compassion on the needs of those around us. God, give us faith to believe in spite of the evidence and watch the evidence change in a miracle. God, here's my fish and barley loaves. Take them. And use whatever I have to change the world. The world in me. The world in my home. The world in this church. The world in these streets. Thank you, God, for involving us. Take what we have. Do a miracle. In Jesus' name. Amen.